Welcome to BBC's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website at ballamvineyard.org or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. Amazing. I love hearing stories about what God's doing. So encouraging. So we're continuing our series looking at characters in the Bible. And when Stephen Viv asked me to pick a character, they said either your favourite or one that's not talked about very much. And what came to my mind was Habakkuk. I think we can agree he's not talked about very much. But I heard a talk about him about a year ago, which provoked me to have a little bit more of a look at Habakkuk. And uh, he was a prophet that lived around in about 600 years before Jesus in um, the same time as Jeremiah, lived in Jerusalem. And it's a really short book, three chapters long, easy to read, recommend it. And basically, we go on a journey with Habakkuk, we, see, we get an insight into the prayer life of a prophet. So we see him come before God with his complaint, hear God's response, complain about God's response, hear God's response to that, and then it ends with him worshipping. And actually, the summary of this journey from why to worship is pretty much what Hannah just so eloquently poured out in the worship earlier I love it when you feel like, hey, this is what God's saying. Shall I sit down? But anyway, we're going we're gonna to give it a go anyway. Jonah, can we have the, um, the presentation up? I'm going to have some scriptures. So we're going to go through Habakkuk together on this journey. And um, the scriptures have come up on the, on the screen. But um, in terms of a little bit of history of the kings of Israel and Judah, because it took me ages to get the hang of this. And I know that um, a couple of weeks ago, Addison did a, a very eloquent summary about this. So if you go to the next slide. Um, first king, Saul. Then David, who I think Tabitha spoke about last week, then Solomon, at which point the kingdom divided into two. And you've got Israel in the north, large kingdom with capital Samaria, and Judah in the south. And we're told there are no good kings in Israel. Judah, there are some bad kings. I think there's seven bad kings. And then Hezekiah, that Addison spoke about, bringing your way back, who was a good king. Then a couple more bad kings. And then we got to Josiah, who was a good king. And Josiah's son was Jehoiakim, and that's where Habakkuk comes in. So we're nearly there. So Josiah was a good king. He started seeking God when he was about 16 years old. And he, he rediscovered the law. They'd lost God's word in the temple. Um, he rediscovered the law, and he kind of restored the temple. And the people turned back to God again. And there was a sense of God's blessing and, and stability in, in, um, in Jerusalem at that time. But then his son Jehoiakim pretty much undid all of that good work. And for the next 11 years that he reigned, that there was anarchy. Um, he was corrupt. He exploited the people whilst he built these big palaces. The priests and the politicians were, were corrupt as well. The people turned their backs on God. People were just living for themselves. So this is where um, Habakkuk enters our story. He witnessed this moral and spiritual decline in his nation. And at the same time, there was political turmoil going on. The, the nations of Assyria and Babylon and Egypt were all vying for power. Israel had already fallen to Assyria, and Babylon was on the move. And Judah was, um, Habakkuk was deeply concerned about what was going on. So here we are, moral and spiritual decline in this nation, global turmoil, political instability for the nation. Any of that sound familiar? <laughs> and in the midst of that, he cries out, why? Keep going through with the slides, Fiona. You know. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Great. Why? How long, Lord, must I call for help and you don't listen? Do you ever feel like that? 
Do you ever feel like there's things that you're crying out to God about and it just seems like he's, he's not listening? And I love Habakkuk's honesty here. Let's look at the rest of that verse. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There's strife, conflicts abound. The law is paralyzed, justice never prevails. He basically looks around and says to God, what is going on here? It doesn't make sense. This, is, this wasn't the plan. We're supposed to be God, your chosen people. What, what are you doing? Where are you, God? Why do you tolerate all this wrongdoing, all this suffering, all this injustice? And we sense his pain as he wrestles with these questions and struggles before God. And I love that Habakkuk is his honesty. That he, he has a hold back. He tells it like it is. This is what I'm seeing. And he, he just cries it out to God. And in our lives, we will all come to a point where there's this tension between what we believe about the goodness of God, about the character and the nature of God, and what we actually see going on, perhaps personal experiences in our own lives, or going on in the world around us. And you know what? That's okay. It's part of our journey. There's this tension that we all get to, and our faith is strong enough, God is strong enough to cope with those questions and struggles. And there's a clue, I think, to Habakkuk's honesty in his name. In Hebrew, names have meaning, and Habakkuk means embrace. That's the starting point for our relationship with God, for, and for hearing from God, is his embrace. More specifically, it's the embrace which involves struggle. We are held in the arms of the Father, and his embrace is strong enough to handle our questions, our struggles. I'm sure we've all seen a toddler who's having a tantrum and kicking off, frustrated, not getting their own way. And the dad comes along and scoops the toddler up into, into his arms. And they're, they're kicking and screaming, pounding against the chest. And dad just holds on and strokes the head. That's what our father's love is for us. His embrace is strong enough to cope with our struggles. I've been a Christian now for nearly 30 years, over 30 years. And I have to be honest that two or three times during that journey, I've come to those tension points. Those points where the questions and the, the difficulties, the struggles have been so overwhelming, uh, I've wondered, God, where are you? And I think the most recent one for me was about six years ago, when a close friend of mine died. Sorry, I think I'm going to be upset about this. So um, she was a friend that we'd been part of a group together where we'd accidentally planted a church in our 20s. <laughs> in Hampton, Hampton Vineyard. And she'd gone on to um, become a church leader with her husband. Um, and then, as I said, six years ago, she developed breast cancer and died within a few months. And as I look back and thought about, you know, the, those times when we were seeing God move so powerfully amongst us, our sort of hopes and our dreams for the future and how, you know, what God was doing, you know, it, it was ne that was never part of the plan. We ne you never kind of look, think that this is what's going to happen. And, and I just remember going for a walk um, in Devon along the cliff paths near where my parents live and just crying out, God, where are you? Where are you? And it didn't feel like God was listening. Then um, a few days later, I had a phone call from some good friends that I'd not heard from in months, but who felt God say to them that I was struggling and they invited me to come and stay with them. And for the next couple of days, they just let me rant. <laughs> As I ranted at God, ranted at them, all my questions and frustrations and hurt and disappointment. And after two days of that, at the end of it all, they just gently challenged me, okay, are you going to trust Jesus now? And it's that point when the, when the toddler stops, stops screaming 
and just rest. And in that moment when I decided to trust Jesus again, that I experienced a deeper intimacy than I'd done for years. His is the embrace of love that involves struggle. Going back to the very first verse of the book, so the next slide. The very first verse of Habakkuk says, the burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. Habakkuk was carrying a burden and it started what he saw around him. Embracing that grip of God, he was able to start seeing some of the things that were on God's heart. And this is part of the, I guess, the privilege of the journey we get to go on with God, that he shows his concerns about the world to us. And that leads us to intimacy with him as we have that chance to kind of bring it before him in prayer and to pray for passion and to seek his perspective and perhaps become part of the solution. When I was 17 years old, I was sitting in a field praying about my future on a Christian camp. And I saw this picture of India. I just saw the nation of India with India stamped across it. I thought, interesting one. And I just parked it. I didn't know where that one came from. But over the next year or two, I just kept seeing things about India just kept springing out to me. Um, I would read a magazine, there was another article about it. I'd see something on the news, there was another thing about it. And it was like God was giving me this burden for children at risk in the slums in India and South Asia. And um, um, when I was in 20, I had the opportunity to go there for the first time on a short-term trip. And I just remember looking out the window of the bus in Bombay and seeing these families on the streets, minimal shelter, kids running around, no access to clean water, sanitation, and it's weeping. This isn't right. We've got to do something about this. This is the burden that God was giving me. And eight years later, I left my job, went out to India and then to Bangladesh and set up community programs working with kids in the slums there and responding to that burden that God had given me. And I'll tell you a bit more about that later on. But my question for you is, what do you see? What is the burden that you see as you look around you? Is there an area of injustice that he's putting on your heart? What grabs your attention? Maybe that's an invitation for God to bring it to him, to get his heart perspective on it, and maybe to be part of the solution. So this is the first part of Habakkuk's journey. His honest, we see his honesty as he carries a burden. Then we move on to the next bit. So he's He's, he's poured out his heart to God, and this is God's reply to him. As Habakkuk has said, God, look, look at this mess. Why aren't you doing something? God says to him, no, you look. You look and see what I see. You look and get my perspective. Look at the nations and watch, and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, in if, even if you were told. I want to say that again now for us. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. But God is going to do something in our days that we would not believe even if we were told. As it turned out, God did tell Habakkuk what that plan was, and he didn't like the answer. Because <laughs> <laughs> his plan is, I'm going to raise up the Babylonians, and they're going to come and um, they're going to come and invade, and Jerusalem's going to fall, and everyone's going to go into exile, and that's my plan. Habakkuk's, what? That's your plan? How is that a solution? How is that a plan? And, and this, is the, this is the thing we learn. Sometimes God's solutions are not our solutions. Sometimes they don't make, make sense to us. Wasn't it like that with the cross? 
The disciples had this dream, this picture of what it was going to look like with Jesus. And then he died, and they were bereft, like, what do we do now? That, that wasn't how things were supposed to turn out. Yeah. And then he rose again, That's true. and it started to make sense. Sometimes we win looking like we're losing, because yeah. God's solutions are not our solutions, but yeah, there is yeah. that salvation plan. There is that plan for rescue. And we're now also grateful for that, because we get to experience that yeah. gift, that invitation, made available through the cross, that we yeah. can come and know God so God is not a God who's far off he is at work even when we don't see it he's at work in the world he's intimately involved in our lives but sometimes his solutions are not what we expect so having poured out his heart to God Habakkuk then says okay now I'm going to wait I will climb up onto my watchtower and wait to see what the Lord is going to say to me and how he will answer my complaint. And I love, I love his humility that he, 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 he pours out his complaint, he pours it out and then says, okay, now I'm going to wait. Surely God's going to speak to me. I love his faith and his expectation. And notice he climbed up. He climbed up above the city, away from the turmoil, the chaos, all the things that he was seeing in the, in the streets below. He climbed up. Sometimes we need to withdraw to get high up, to get that different perspective, to wait in God's presence. And once with Jesus, he would withdraw to lonely places to pray. And we need to do the same. We don't like waiting. We're not very good at waiting. We are an instant generation, expecting everything to happen now. And we, we like, we have distractions. They say that we're, we're a generation of partial attention. We're doing one thing, but then a text comes in. Also there's, we need to have that discipline like he did, to climb up, to get out of the situation to withdraw and to wait in God's presence. And as we do that, he shows us his perspective. As Habakkuk did that, he started to get a vision of God's purposes for the world. And God tells him, write it down. Write the vision and make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. As you wait in God's presence, as you listen to what he's showing you, whether it's about a question you're struggling with, whether it's about a burden he's given you, whether it's a vision for something that you want to see happen, write it down, record it. Tablets were the media of the day. They were, they were in, enduring, lasting. Um, but it kind of there's a weight and authority there because we think back to the Ten Commandments. We write it down on different tablets now or record it on, in a different, a different media. But the point is, record it. Make note of what God's saying to you and run with it. And make it clear so that others can run with it. We're supposed to act on what God speaks to us. But tablets were also long-lasting. And sometimes that might be an indication that things, it might need to be there for some time. Things don't always happen straight away when we think they're going to. This is, this is that he talks about timing here. These things I plan won't happen right away. Slowly, steadily, surely. The time approaches when the vision will be fulfilled. If it seems slow, wait patiently, for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. It feels like there's a contradiction here. He's saying it won't be delayed, but it might seem slow in coming. They say, uh, they've said of God, He's never early. He's never late. He's always on time. But sometimes it feels like he's cutting it fine. <laughs> I think we can, you know, many of us can agree with that. Sometimes his timing is just not our timing. And if you've had something, maybe it's a, a sense of um, a vision, a prophetic word, a promise, and you're still waiting for it to come past, 
can know that it won't be delayed, it's going to be in God's timing. So sometimes we have to wait for it. And we can become disillusioned in the waiting. We forget the stories of Moses in the wilderness. We forget Joseph in prison for all those years. It might take time, but it won't be delayed. It will be in his timing. So the Habakkuk teaches us how to live in this in-between time, between God's promise and his fulfillment. As he waits, he gets perspective and he gets a vision of God and he gets some awesome revelation. So if we go to the next slide here, three gems of truth that this Old Testament prophet gets that actually look ahead to the New Testament, to Jesus and to beyond. He says, the righteous will live by faith. He gets it, it's not about the law, it's not about trying to be good enough, it's not about self-reliance. It's actually about, it's about trust. It's about faith in Jesus, it's about letting go and saying, okay, this is the way, this is the only way, I can't do it myself, I trust in you. And this is the essence of the gospel. It's what Paul quotes in Romans 1. The writer of Hebrews quotes it. Martin Luther based his theology on it. We live by faith. We just live by trusting Jesus. It's all his gift, grace. And he gets his other gem. He looks forward and he sees, actually, beyond Jesus to the, to the end time, to, the, to Jesus coming back again. He sees that time predicted in Revelation when there will be no more injustice. There will be no pain. Every tear will be wiped away. The time will come when all the earth will be filled as the waters fill the sea with an awareness of the glory of the Lord. That ultimate victory. We can look ahead to that time as well and know that in the midst of the pain, the difficulties and the questions, he is, he is victorious and there will be a time in which there will be no more justice. And finally, he gets this one. The Lord is in his holy temple, let all the earth be silent before him. Effectively saying, you're God, I'm not. When I don't understand, I still choose to trust you. Mm. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about my own story in terms of um, going off to, went off to India and then I went off to Bangladesh and I set up this community project working with girls in the slums. Um, I think we've got a picture of um, some of the girls. Um, the next slide. Thank you. <laughs> um, so I was there for nearly six years, and you know, I went out with that, that sense of faith and calling and expecting God to move in powerful ways. And you know, it was great. Um, it was amazing things, just in terms of the difference that they teach one of those girls in the slums that we're working with. But from a personal point of view, it was it was tough. It was challenging, you know. To be honest, it was challenging living as a as a single woman in a in a, in a Muslim culture uh, with a language barrier, in the chaos of Dhaka, with the traffic and the heat and the mess, and and it wasn't easy. Um, but yeah. <laughs> um, back to the previous slide, actually. <laughs> And one day I had a telephone call um, from my project team saying, this is about three years in, you better come down here. Um, the police are here and they basically say there's a demolition order from the government for the slum. You know, we poured in three years of work into working with these girls in this area. And, um, and it was just chaos. People were, about 5,000 people were having to just try and salvage their possessions whenever they could and leave the area. Um, and the next day we looked with horror as 
the bulldozers came in and they just flattened the sky. Now you can go to the next slide. Um, so the bottom right there is the market as it used to be, and then the one above it is what was left of the market after the bulldozers came in. What was left on the left there is the yellow. So you saw that project centre before with a nice white wall. That was what was left the next day. That's me and my colleague Lovely like just picking around in the rubble. And um, you know, we've poured our lives into this, this, this girl's lives and into this project. And, and I sat in church the next day, again, saying, why? Why, Lord? Where are you, God? You know, you've called me out, and what are you doing? Where are you? And I just started saying, I'm weeping with you. And I didn't know what to do. But that night, I had a dream. And in the dream, I, um, I was running around like a mad woman in the slum, saying, where are the teddy bears? Where are the teddy bears? The children need their teddy bears. And I woke up in the morning and thought, that's a little bit random. Um, but I remember an article I'd read in a magazine about refugee situations for um, where when children were given, were given a backpack with some memories and some, and some key things that would help ease the trauma and transition. And then I had a phone call from a colleague and I told her the dream and she said, you won't believe this. Yesterday, somebody gave me a bag of a hundred teddy bears. And we, somebody previously has given us a donation of a whole load of backpacks, we've got them all in the cupboard. So we were able to straight away make up all these, these backpacks, put in the teddy bears, wow. put in a memory, a, sort of a picture of the school and a certificate and a, and a Bible verse on it as a memory. And we, we tried to find the girls. We hunted out in the remains of the slum, in nearby slums, and tried to find the hundred girls we were working with. And when we found them, um, we were able to give them the backpack and to offer to pray for them. And if I'm honest, up until that point, we'd been cautioned about speaking about our faith. But somehow, when everything else was stripped away and it felt like we had nothing left to lose, I mean, it's all been knocked down anyway, it, it felt we had, we had some new boldness. And so we, pray, we offered to pray for these families. And many of them were touched. And I remember one father saying to me, you know, you could have come here offering us money. I said, but no, you didn't. You came here with your love and with your prayers. And that's so much more valuable and precious to us. So sometimes we don't understand what God's doing. Sometimes it doesn't all make sense. But we know that he is at work. And to wait on him, we get a different perspective. Yeah. So coming into line now, the third part of Habakkuk's journey. And that is worship. In response to all this. Oh, I think this picture here is some of the girls getting their, their backpacks. <laughs> And then if you just move on. So, finally, Habakkuk's hope. And this is what Hannah was, was, was kind of talking about this morning, the worship, is we come to that place where in the midst of the why, as we've waited and have this perspective, we're able then to come to a place of worship and to sing. And there's something really powerful about singing, about we sing testament as we sang this morning. I will sing, Jesus, I sing for all that you've done. As we remember what God has done, as we sing it out, it captures our hearts, it captures our minds, and it builds faith in us as we, 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 um, we say those testaments of what he's done before. And he sings about the future. He sings about that revelation we've had of the glory of God, of looking ahead to Jesus and the glory of God filling the earth. So as he looks back and he looks forward, it gives him a different perspective on his present. It's like this shaft of light coming in and he's able to sing and to worship. He doesn't get a neat answer to all his questions, but he gets this amazing vision of God. And in, um, in Habakkuk, in chapter 3, this is supposed to be sung together. It actually says that yeah, it's a prayer supposed to be sung, and it says to be accompanied by the string instruments. <laughs> the idea is that actually, as we, we've got this revelation of God, and as we then write it in song, we bring others with us. And so he has courage 
then to rejoice that no matter what happens, okay, mm. Babylon's going to invade, you've told me that, things are probably going to get worse before they get better. In fact, they're they could get really awful. But you know what? Whatever happens, I know what was done in the past. I know what's happening in the future. So I'm going to continue to rejoice. No matter what happens. And he says these beautiful words. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes in the vine, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pens, no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Saviour. When everything else is stripped away, you can still come and trust and praise him. He's confident of God's help. He sings of his confidence in God to be his strength as he faces the challenges. The sovereign Lord is my strength, he says. He will make me as sure-footed as a deer and bring me safely over the mountains. You know, it would be really sad if we never ventured up into the mountains, if we just stuck with safe limits. The mountains are the challenges that we face. Actually, the mountains were where the pagan altars were, where the high places was, maybe where the spiritual opposition was. We're not to shy away from that. We will face these challenges. We will climb these mountains. But he gives us the strength. And then we get to enjoy the beautiful views when we're up there. And this leads them all then to this point where he cries out to God for more. And he cries out and he says, do it again, God. I've heard what you've done. I've heard of your deeds. I've heard of your fame. Do it again, God. And this is our cry. This is our cry. God, we've heard of what you've done through what we've read in the Bible, through the revival history we read. We were talking earlier on about what God's done over the centuries in our nation. And we say, do it again. I don't want testimonies that are from years ago. I want testimonies from now, from last week. Actually, we do have some awesome ones. I'm running out of time, but um, I've got some awesome testimonies just from a couple of weeks ago when we were out doing healing on the streets. And actually a few people who were there, Adrian was there, Luke was there. Um, and we saw, saw God healing people amazingly. I had one lady who, um, she, she said to me, I can't move my arm. She could, she could only go like this. Um, and we prayed for her. And then um, it turned out that her husband had died earlier in the year. And um, she was just having, facing incredible grief. And so we prayed through the prayer about the grief. And at the end we said, do you want to try your arm out now? She said, okay. Ooh, it's a bit easier. Actually, that's quite a lot easier. Actually, I, I couldn't do this before. Oh, you are clever, she said. <laughs> <laughs> she said, no, you're not clever. Said, Jesus, Jesus has healed you. And I so wish I caught it on camera because this picture I see in my mind was she then walked off down the street and I saw her walking into the distance going. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so good, so good. Do it again, God. We want to see his kingdom coming through and breaking through now. And um, there, was a, there was another lady who, um, who came up to us looking kind of stunned and said, I don't live here, you know, I'm just passing through. But this morning, I was Googling about healing, not Christian. I was watching YouTube clips about healing, and I, 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 want, I want healing. And um, we prayed for her, and it just felt like it was on her case. And I said, you know, do you want to invite Jesus into your life? Yeah, I do. Send her to the Lord in the streets. It's wow. so good. So, Habakkuk comes through from that place of wise, all at the end of Habakkuk. Nothing's changed, the situation is the same. But Habakkuk isn't the same, because he's been on that journey of being able to wrestle with those questions of wild. He's waited on God and has got his perspective in God's presence, a different perspective in God's presence. Yeah. And now he's able to worship. And he sings this prayer. 
So in the interest of you also being in the awkward, I'm going to sing it. Just join and pray with me. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our BBC speakers.